This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton and the Boston Consulting Group. These days, when the U.S. Defense Department buys a fighter jet from Lockheed Martin, it simply doesn't pay Lockheed for the physical product. Instead, the government has a performance-based contract with the defense supplier, according to Sergei Netasin, Professor of Operations and Information Management at Wharton. This contract says, in effect, that the government's reimbursement to Lockheed hinges on the jet's performance, that is, how often the planes are able to fly. In this podcast, the final one in our series of interviews on procurement, Netasin describes how performance-based contracts are becoming more common in a variety of industries. Well, Sergey, thanks for uh, joining us today uh, for another podcast um, in our series on um, purchasing. Uh, thanks for coming in. My pleasure to be here, yeah. Okay. Sergey, now this is going to be kind of an interesting talk. We're going to talk about something called uh, performance-based logistics, and there's another interesting phrase called power by the hour. And in some recent uh, research that you've done, you've also talked about the aerospace industry and even Rolls-Royce. They kind of all factor into, the, into our discussion today. But, um, but you worked on a research project with Morris Cohen, uh, who's also a professor uh, at Wharton, on this whole idea of something called performance-based logistics. Can you take a minute or two to, to describe what that means? Uh, sure. Um, I guess uh, the project itself started with um, with our joint uh, work with Lockheed Martin, and Lockheed Martin is one of the you know biggest suppliers to uh, Department of Defense. Um, uh, they manufacture a variety of products, and one of the uh, probably best known products is um, Joint Strike Fighter, which is a fighter jet. Um, uh, which Lockheed Martin is going to be manufacturing and servicing over the next uh, 50 or 70 years, and that's going to be um, a standard uh, standard fighter jet used by all NATO uh, nations. So uh, this product is uh, extremely expensive, extremely costly to manufacture, but it's even uh, costlier to service because uh, lifespan of this product is. Uh, very long, um, uh, an airplane is going to be in service maybe 30, 40, 50 years, and over this lifetime, Lockheed Martin will have to make sure that uh, airplane is operational. Now, uh, what Department of Defense wants from Lockheed Martin is a performance-based contract. That is, uh, Lockheed Martin doesn't get paid if an airplane doesn't fly. And, and this is a really very radical transformation, a very radical departure from the way Department of Defense used to operate, let's say, you know, 40, 50, and even 10 years ago. Um, uh, previously, Department of Defense would ask their suppliers to um, open their books and basically report to the Department of Defense how much money they spend on maintenance of uh, military equipment. And then Department of Defense would reimburse those suppliers and maybe give them a little something to make uh, a small profit margin. Uh, that's how it used to work. And for suppliers, it was very easy and understandable. They didn't really need to keep track of their costs. They could just, you know, bill, uh, charge whatever is necessary and, and then open books and they would be sure that they will be reimbursed. Um, not anymore. Now, Department of Defense says, I don't care how you make this plane fly, whether you uh, 
whether you open more warehouses with spare parts, or maybe you train your employees better, or maybe you design a better product, all I care about is that the plane flies. And now suppliers have to uh, basically start thinking hard how much is it going to cost them to make sure that this airplane flies most of the time. And, and typically, Department of Defense requires a very high uh, availability, something like 95% of the time the plane has to fly. So uh, that, in a nutshell, is, is the basic idea behind uh, performance-based logistics. You are compensated not on a promise of performance and not on your cost or anything like that. You are compensated based on the performance, actual performance of your product. And, Sergey, now when you say uh, uh, Lockheed Martin will be compensated uh, for, the, for the amount of time uh, that, the, that their planes fly, do you mean that in the sense that when the planes are mechanically fine and operational and able to fly, or do you mean actually hours spent in the air doing missions or something like that? Well, uh, Steve, this is, a, this is a great question, and uh, this is a kind of kink that uh, um, is still being worked on. Um, so typically what happens in practice is Department of Defense gives a certain forecast of how much they need to fly this plane, and uh, there is some kind of a floor and some kind of a ceiling because everybody understands if there is not a new war, for example, then uh, demand is going to go up. And if there is a cut in budget, then demand is going to go down. Uh, but uh, there, are, there are certain limits within which um, uh, Department of Defense promises Lockheed Martin, for example, that the plane will be used between 1,000 and 2,000 hours in a given month, let's say. Right. Okay. Um, and then, um, uh, whenever whenever Department of Defense needs this plane, it has to fly 95% of the time. It has to be available 95% of the time. So it's kind of a combination. On one hand, there should be demand for flying hours from Department of Defense. On the other hand, Lockheed Martin is protected a little bit from wild fluctuations in uh, demand uh, for the airplane. Okay. Now, Sergey, the, the whole notion of performance-based contracting applies to uh, other industries, not just, say, the Defense Department and a defense contractor. Can you discuss a couple of the other businesses, other industries that are affected by performance-based contracting or are beginning to adopt it? Uh, absolutely. Actually, the, the precursor to uh, performance-based contracting uh, was um, – I believe uh, an arrangement in um, commercial airline industry, which was called power by the hour. Okay. Uh, for example, if you um, if you just look at any kind of commercial airplane uh, flown by any commercial airline, typically um, the engines uh, engines of this airplane are covered by a separate contract between the airline and engine manufacturer. And um, there are only a few engine manufacturers. There is uh, General uh, Electric, uh, there is Pratt & Whitney, and uh, there is Rolls-Royce, for example. And the contract, even going back 10 or 20 years, would basically specify that uh, the airline pays for flying hours of the engine. And then uh, uh, engine manufacturer or any kind of a third party that is providing service uh, for those engines has to make sure that those engines are operational whenever, whenever they are needed. So these kind of arrangements existed for a long time, and um, they were 
basically the driving force behind this decision of Department of Defense to switch to performance-based contracting because over the years, those relationships um, worked very well in commercial, um, commercial airspace. So. And it was, it was Rolls-Royce. Um, I think you had mentioned to me one time that uh, coined that phrase, power by the hour. Um, yeah, I believe so. Um, of course, this was some years back, and uh, it's hard to trace it now. But, yeah, I, I believe that Rolls-Royce was the first one, and, and I also believe they probably have the biggest, uh, uh, the biggest experience, the best experience with uh, those kinds of contracts. And, and so for Rolls-Royce, for example, uh, Rolls-Royce provides engines to um, uh, commercial air, airlines, but he also provides engines to... Uh, military uh, aircrafts and, and military helicopters, for example. So for them, it was probably the easiest transformation to bring it from, from commercial side to the military side. The industries that you've discussed so far are uh, certainly key uh, industries for the United States and, and really for any other um, industrial country. But I think that there may be some applications of this idea in the retail sector as well and for products that may impact uh, consumer goods companies and and average people like uh, you and I and our listeners in terms of the uh, the products they buy is that true um, uh, possibly so what we 've seen so far for example is um, uh, there are a few applications of um, uh, performance based contracting in uh, chemical industry for example where um, let's say uh, let's let 's put it simply. Um, you need um, the company, chemical company, needs from its supplier uh, some kind of service, let's say cleaning, cleaning of equipment with some kind of chemicals. And what previously would happen, we would see that um, the company would just buy those chemicals, pay for those chemicals to the supplier, and clean the equipment. But really, in, in reality, what the company cares about is that equipment gets cleaned. So the company doesn't really want to buy those chemicals and cares about those chemicals. So uh, we see a transformation towards what's called serviceization. Um, and serviceization is kind of a bigger umbrella word for uh, transforming the business from just buying uh, parts, buying products, procuring products, to procuring services. In chemical industry examples, this would be procuring cleaning services, and you would pay for quality of cleaning rather than for chemicals that were used. Um, another example is um, uh, commercial and uh, residential air conditioning systems. Um, and uh, in, in those, those are, again, very, very big, very large systems, and very often, for example, a uh, a building owner would buy an air conditioning system for the building and pay for the air conditioning system and then pay for service of this air conditioning system. But really all the owner cares about is that uh, the system works and it de delivers cold air to the building. So uh, a lot of companies, a lot of manufacturers of those air conditioning systems, for example, have been moving towards paying for performance. For example, a building owner would pay to the uh, provider of air conditioning system for, uh, the, for the time the system is operational. For example, paying for system to be up, uh, for system uptime, for system operation 99% of the time or better. Uh, so that's another example of moving towards serviceization and performance-based contracting or power by the hour. 
a recent study that you and, and Professor Cohen worked on uh, is titled Performance Contracting in After-Sales Service Supply Chains, which is a, a lengthy title, but, but it's the after-sales service that's interesting. Uh, that's a big component of the revenue and profitability components of companies, is it not? I think it's much bigger than many companies realize. Um, uh, for example, uh, there were a few studies that have been done, and, and they demonstrated that um, uh, very often when you have a complex, uh, complex, sophisticated equipment like an airplane, let's say, uh, companies pay much more for servicing this equipment than for buying this equipment. And as a result, and moreover, uh, this turns out to be a much more profitable uh, line of business. On average, profitability of providing service, providing maintenance of an airplane, for example, is at least twice as profitable as selling airplanes themselves. And and so I think best of class companies have been uh, slowly moving towards uh, providing more and more services rather than selling equipment. Uh, a good example might be uh, Best Buy um, with with their Geek Squad, and Geek Squad is you know those guys who come in, uh, uh, who who come to your house and service your uh, computer or TV or whatever whatever else you might have, and uh, this turned out to be uh, a business that was in, that is still in high demand and and highly profitable business. So yeah, I absolutely agree. This is uh, this is becoming a huge part of our economy and. Companies are realizing more and more that you can make more money by servicing rather than by selling. And is performance-based contracting or performance-based logistics a concept that 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 executives and managers in procurement departments um, in companies uh, know about now and have have accepted and are thinking about and are implementing, or is it is it for some companies perhaps a relatively new idea that hasn't been uh, kind of percolating? to the executive suite yet? So I believe it's a relatively new idea. It depends, depends on the industry. So uh, in, in airspace, in, in commercial airspace, for example, commercial aircraft, uh, this idea existed for about 20, 30 years now. Um, and uh, uh, when, when you look into military, kind of dep- department of defense, how Department of Defense did business historically, that, that's a very new idea. Um, and and um, uh, definitely, I would say, o- on average, I would say it's a relatively new idea. Um, and what executives need to understand, I believe, is that um, whenever you have a contract with supplier for delivery uh, of any kinds of services, you have to think carefully about um, what incentives are created by such contracts. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, historically, Department of Defense used to, uh, for example, reimburse all suppliers based on their costs. Well, what kind of incentives does this arrangement create? Well, very clearly, supplier has absolutely no incentive to reduce costs, right, because everything that the supplier incurs in terms of cost is going to be reimbursed. So why should I care about reducing my costs? On the contrary, I'm going to inflate my costs to the extent possible. Um, so that created very perverse incentives and great dissatisfaction of Department of Defense with respect to um, efficiency of suppliers. On the other hand, when you go to performance-based logistics and you start reimbursing suppliers just on performance of the airplane or whatever that might be, some 
um, weapon systems maybe, uh, then both the supplier and the buyer of the service care about the same thing. The buyer wants to increase availability of, of the airplane, and the supplier wants to increase availability of the airplane because supplier is paid based on availability. And if you apply this kind of a relatively simple thinking to uh, any kind of relationship that the company has with, with suppliers, um, I think then we would be moving in the right direction. We would be aligning incentives of buyers and suppliers. Okay. Well, clearly you've, you've spent a lot of time working on this issue um, and a lot of time thinking about it. Are there any kind of interesting unanswered questions uh, that you'd like to address in your future research projects. What's kind of interesting um, going forward for you? Well, uh, I think I think the biggest um, issue that uh, many of those indices face right now is uh, how exactly to measure performance of the supplier, uh, and and this gets very tricky, especially when we are talking about this kind of a, uh, complicated and and expensive equipment. For example, um, airplane engines don't fail very often. They maybe fail, you know, once a year uh, on average. Um, that does not give you a lot of information that allows you to assess supplier performance. So engine fails once, and supplier, let's say, took a week to restore this engine. Well, um, and, and, that, and maybe a week is too long. Maybe you wanted to, to get it done in, in one day, but it's, it's very small numbers. If, if engine failed once... Is that really reflective of average supplier performance, or is it really kind of a random, uh, random glitch that is not going to happen in the future? So um, this this becomes very difficult. This it becomes very hard to figure out whether supplier really deployed necessary capabilities to support this engine if if equipment fails very very rarely. So this is something that uh, companies in aerospace and defense have been uh, struggling with recently. And Sergey, one other question uh, that you and uh, Professor Cohen have have maybe thought about. I don't know whether you've started to formally. Uh, look at this uh, as, as, as academic researchers, could there come a time when consumers may not want to own automobiles, for instance? I mean, why pay full price for a, for a car if it's not being used a lot or if it's not working in, in certain situations? I mean, it, it, is this whole idea of performance-based contracting transferable to something like a car or a truck or uh, another uh, consumer product? Um. Yeah, so uh, more or less. With cars, I think uh, what, what we see currently is um, um, if you want your car being serviced at, at sort of no additional cost, you sign for all kind of uh, extended warranty plans and service plans and, and such. Um, and maybe for cars, this might be a, a more or less uh, an acceptable way to do it because car is um, car is not such a complicated product um, I would maybe equate performance based logistics in case of cars with uh, companies like car share where you can pay uh, for car by the hour you know rather than say if, if you only need a car for an hour a week or an hour a month it doesn't really make a lot of sense for you to buy it and uh, own it for you know many many months or many years, and so there are there are those uh, smaller companies popping up where you can just get a car for an hour or two, 
and pay for exactly that hour or two and, and forget about servicing the car and forget about paying uh, all the other costs such as insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that might be, might be what comes closer to performance-based logistics. But again, I think this notion of performance-based logistics applies best when products are relatively complicated and it's very hard to predict uh, when the equipment is going to fail and how much is it going to cost to repair it. Um, car is a still a relatively simple product, so I'm not sure if it has a big future with performance-based logistics. We've been talking today with Sergey Natesson, uh, Associate Professor of Operations and Information Management at the Wharton School. Sergey, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast series on procurement. For more information about the Boston Consulting Group, visit bcg.com. For business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.